from the vault. High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Catholic. It's Carrie Janice here. We are in our first week of Lent. So I guess technically when this airs will be the start of the second week of Lent. And we are here. I am here with my good friend, Mike Walsh. So we are here together. Hi. Except we're not. The first time <laughs> no, in weeks, we're not. It's it's painful. We, uh, as you can probably tell from the audio, folks, uh, this is another Zoom call. We're recording this uh, as South Jersey got hit by a... Uh, massive ice storm today so we thought it best that uh we not try to not just south jersey like half of the u.s it just came up from texas and well the problem is is that so yeah we've had a lot of snow this winter which for me is great i love it i I, the more weight the better my in my regards and my my concerns um but we haven't had like a, a really good snowfall they've all been ice falls mixed with snow so yes today earlier today i was out uh shoveling snow with my son and the one upside was even though it was icy today it was the first time i could use a snowblower and have not have it uh, jam up on me so i was very very happy about that but oh, that's the little victories carry i yep yep i didn't step outside once i had my husband do the drive well, as he always does <laughs> and when it was nice a couple of weeks ago that snowfall and we got so much it was like that great packing snow i was outside with my Rose son john paul we had a blast mm-hmm. um no we made a actually a huge olaf snowman he was so excited because it wasn't just a snowman we made olaf and it and it was olaf it looked great i was super That's psyched awesome. I yeah, would expect so. nothing less from some from someone as graphically oriented as you to, to do a proper Olaf yeah. in your backyard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my art major coming out and uh, it had it had <laughs> to be proper. Like I even went as far as like looking at the style of twigs that made up his arms and his hair and like <laughs> sought out twigs that looked that way. So it's all about the details, Mike. You know, I've heard that. I've heard that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you mentioned it. We're, we're starting the second week of uh, Lent. Uh, I want mm-hmm. to ask you, how was your Ash Wednesday, your first week of Lent? Oh, it was nice. Um, it was, you know, a little different as it was for all of us. It didn't really like the idea of the ashes bothered me going in the hair. We talked about this on the prior <laughs> podcast just because it was oh, that's different. That's right. I but forgot. like, it actually happened. I was like, this is fine. Actually, um, I was watching the, the Eucharistic ministers and the we had Father Maz, one deacon, Deacon John Casey, and then two Eucharistic ministers distributing the ashes. And I sought out which on my side was sprinkling less. <laughs> Truth be told. But outside of that, um, I went to two other services because I had to live stream them. Yeah. And I did not go up for extra ashes. If it was on my forehead, <laughs> I would. I was just like, I got mine already. So there, there's my Ash Wednesday experience. I was uh, I was live. The, the bishop had uh, Ash Wednesday mass at the cathedral, uh, Bishop Sullivan, and um, at the cathedral in Camden. And um, so it was it was great. It was as usual. Uh, the Catholic Church was giving something away for free, so everybody showed up. It was the, mm-hmm. the fullest I have seen a church yeah. in almost a year now. Um, but it was beautiful, and everybody was socially distant. Everybody had their mask on. Everything was safe. But it was great to see the church filled as much as it was. But um, I uh, I was enjoying watching. Nobody seemed to blink an eye with the the sprinkling of the yeah, ashes on the no. floor, on the uh, top of the head. It did make me wonder, though. The only time I really kind of like thought to myself, "Well, this is peculiar," was when bald guys went up. Um, I noticed that. I noticed it was. That. They were the only ones who kind of got away with almost a cross on, the, on their heads because what would happen is that it would they would sprinkle and then I think just you know because whenever you feel something on your head you you kind of brush it 
every single one of them but by the time they left mass had a line down the middle of their head yes. from where they had, had had moved it so they got they got at least a, a column of the cross they, they got I a transept of the cross but yeah. um i actually as usual when i live stream these things i never get a chance to do communion because i'm so busy with stuff and we were doing a lot of kind of cool shots with the with the live stream stuff this time and then I and then I realized, man, I didn't even get up to get my ashes. So um, fortunately, yeah. the rector of the cathedral took pity on me and uh, gave me some ashes uh, right before I left. So yeah, because nice. they don't have to be done in the context of mass either. So you can get them. Yeah. Well, the truth of the matter is they don't even need to be done. Well, in a normal circumstance, they don't even need to be done by a Eucharistic minister. Like my mm -hmm. colleagues were there. I, I thought about it later. I said, hey, can because they had already done the group blessing. And that's mm -hmm. kind of the key to the whole thing. And since they weren't doing individual blessings, they were doing group blessings. I had already been blessed. I just yeah. needed someone to that. I could have had one of my colleagues dip into the ashes and put it on my head. My fear was that they would have entirely too much fun with that. I don't need my staff dumping the ashes. In my <laughs> but, You'll uh, be like, like from the Bible where they sat in their ash and, and talked yes. about and, and reflected on their sin. That would have been you on Ash Wednesday, like literally sitting in the ash. But we are, we've begun Lent and it's very good. Yeah. And for anyone who hasn't checked out our Talking Catholic stuff or the stuff certainly within our diocese, I think all the dioceses are doing a lot of online content, just kind of, you know, not because of any COVID reasons, just because we've all gotten very good at it. So we're creating all this mm -hmm. online stuff. So check out your local diocese Facebook page and YouTube page and websites because I guarantee you they're putting up a lot of interesting content right now specific, specific to Lent, which we are as well. So feel free to check out uh, Camden Diocese at uh, on Facebook, it's just like that. Camden Diocese on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and YouTube. Um, certainly check out your local parishes. But uh, Carrie, Lent is a time that typically in, a, in the Lenten uh, opportunities we bring new people into the church. Yeah, and uh, you've invited someone on the the uh, the podcast tonight that did something like that. That was a convert to our faith. That is so true. You, yes. You wanna you wanna introduce him and give him his backstory? Yes, yeah, so I have on my friend for who I've met through my parish, which is Our Lady of Peace Parish in Williamstown. I have my friend Dr. Daniel Costa or Dr. Dan Costa. He is a uh, pediatrician locally in our area of South Jersey and uh, a good friend of mine, a father of five, and as you mentioned, Mike, a convert to the faith. So we welcome Dr. Dan, or as we're gonna go forward, just calling him Dan to the podcast. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, you're welcome. So, um, so good to have you on. And I'm so thankful that you could be on because I know uh, your evenings are probably precious with putting the kids to bed right now and <laughs> doing a lot of other things, just regrouping from the day of work. And uh, well, did you work today? Because it was snowy. Did you still have to go in? As uh, Today is my day off. So oh, nope. nice. Oh, so this worked out kind of nicely then to be able to yeah. work yeah. this in at the end of the day. Well, that's great. So Thank you, though, for taking the time to be with us. And yeah, if you, you want to just you bailed me out of bedtime, so bedtime. Hey, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, You're I'm curious, how that. did how did Dan cross your path? I know everybody at your parish crosses your path at some point, but uh, you know everyone. But uh, how did Dan yeah. get on your radar? Sure. So there was like a, a, a kind of formal meeting back a few years ago. Uh, we I was running family retreats at our parish and um Dan's family, uh, his sister-in-law is a part of our parish and had introduced his family to our parish when they moved back locally to the area. And you kind of hear about that throughout his story about uh, coming back to the South Jersey area. But 
and he she i remember his sister-in-law her name is alicia she said can my brother-in-law and sister come on the family retreat with their kids i was like yeah of course you know uh that'd be great to and he she was saying how they were moving back to the area and he was going to be starting his residency so i met him and his younger family that at the time there was less kids in a, and they were all younger this was about five six years ago um i guess and at this family retreat but i was helping run the retreat and you know it's like one of those where you're like in a million places and um, you know, doing a lot of different things. And we never actually sat down and talked until more recently, actually speaking of all the live streams and, and such, we can thank Dan for our live streams looking really nice because he's the one that started helping me out with them and introduced me to the, to the app we use, Switcher Studio, which makes them look really nice. I know you've comment, commented on them, Mike. So it was when I, I was do, doing do. the live streams. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, uh, I did not know that uh, we can thank Dan for that. Dan, uh, yes. you, many thanks, because uh, I, I know Carrie was pulling her hair out in the early stages. And then um, later on, I see that she has one of the best, I almost say it rivals the diocese with its quality. And she does Ooh. it a lot more frequently than we do. So uh, so thank you for that. It's, it's one of the best looking live streams in, the, in our diocese. Sure, oh, sure. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad it looks that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it took a little bit to get there, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 a lot a lot of thanks to Dan. So uh, he had seen me live streaming multiple masses in the weekend when when churches first started opening up, and that is because our our live stream not only serves for those at home, but it serves for our church overflow with social distancing. So um, I had to do a lot of masses in the beginning until we knew what the numbers were going to kind of pan out to be, and so he was graciously enough to come up to me after mass one day and have a conversation with me and ask me if he, if he, if I needed help. And I was like, yes, I do. Please help. And he's been great ever since. So in that, this was the start of our friendship and, you know, uh, started to get to know his, his wife more and see her mass and talk with her and him and uh, just develop a friendship over the last uh, six, seven, eight months, however long it's been since June. So yeah, right. so it's, that's really since, since then that we've gotten to know each other better and, and more details about each other's lives, and including um, his great story of conversion um, into our Catholic faith. So let's talk about that, Dan. Um, what you know, growing up, what was your what was your family life like? What was your what was your spiritual life like back in the day? Sure, sure. Yeah, so I I actually grew up in Brazil initially. Mm. Um, I moved to the U.S. In the U.S. when I was around like seven or eight, um, but. I grew up Episcopalian. My uncle, who is American, came to Brazil on a mission uh, quite a few years before I was born and met my, my aunt. And um, he became an Episcopalian um, pastor down there, had a parish and so forth. So I grew up within that environment. He eventually separated from the Episcopalian church and kind of went off on his own in more of like a, a Bible kind of church. Um, and so those are the years that I really remember. Um, I remember some of the Episcopalian years, but then more of the Bible church, um, very charismatic and so forth. So I grew up in that environment. Um, within that environment, I, I, I laugh now, but um, we were essentially taught that the Catholic church was, uh, well, you know, the, the I want to be careful with the words that I use now that, you know, this is going to be on a podcast, but this is, this is a biblical thing, but um, you know, the, the W of, of Babylon, the, you know, the abomination. Uh, um, I just didn't want to use that particular word there, but you know, essentially the, the epitome of, of all evil and the seed of the antichrist was exactly what I was brought up to, to believe. Um, uh, 
they used to to teach me that behind every candle there was a demon um you know and that praying to statues was praying to demons also and i mean you have to understand a little bit in brazil there's imported from africa this um this cult um that that's very um occult um macumba which is a kind of uh, a worship that's very mixed and they they take Catholic statues and they offer foods to it, like candles in front of it. Um, so a lot of Protestants in Brazil get this impression that Catholics do the same and we worship statues. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the environment that, that I grew up in. We eventually moved to the U.S. My, my parents had a, a theater company that, that would tour throughout Brazil and they wanted to expand. So they came to the U.S. and uh, performed down at the Lincoln Center for a little bit and other places. And um, by the time that my father wanted to return back to Brazil, my sister had already been in high school at this point. And if she tried to go back to Brazil, she would have to go back a couple of years. So at that point, unfortunately, there was a separation of the family. My dad went to Brazil. Um, my mom stayed here with us in order for us to finish school with the eventual plan of going back. But that never quite worked out because things mm. kind of soured out. Um, so I, my initial journey in the faith was very much Protestant. As I came into the U.S., I, my mom initially sought out Episcopalian churches. So we, we went there. There was a Church of the Apostles over in Falls Church, uh, Virginia, and we used to, to frequent that church. But then eventually over time, you know, she would work 18, 20 hour days and um, she just didn't have the energy, including weekends. And we stopped going, even though my mom has always remained really strong and and taught us a lot about the faith, talked about God and so forth. Um, As time went on, I started to fall away more and more from the faith. Still believe that a God existed, but didn't see him as, as very important at a part of my life and certainly wasn't really talking to him that much. Um, by the time I was around 16 or 17, my mom was remarried. Um, and my stepfather and I just couldn't quite mesh. Um, it probably was my teenage years and, you know, Mm -hmm. rebellion and so forth. I don't, in my eyes and in my memory, I remember being like, I don't understand what's going on. Why can't you like, <laughs> just, you know, why don't you just back off? Um, so anyways, <laughs> it was, it was becoming an issue um, to the point that I was afraid that I was going to trigger some kind of separation from them. So I talked to my friend and their parents and I moved out of the house at around 17 or so. Oh, wow. um, yeah, I think I almost killed my mom by doing that. But mm. in my eyes, I was I was trying to save their marriage and I didn't want to cause any more issues. So I moved out. Um, I was finishing high school and I tried to start college, but I was trying to work and moving a lot between friends homes and out of friends homes all around in that same area of Virginia. At this point, we were in Fairfax, Virginia um, until I picked up a job as a veterinary technician, essentially like a, uh, an animal nurse. Um, <laughs> so I did that. It was, it was easy money. I liked medicine. Um, so I figured I would kind of do that for a little while. And my now wife, Rachel had moved down there for, for a couple of years to Virginia to be with her sister who was finishing up college. Um, and she started working at the same place. So at this time, 
um, if you if you want, I can kind of go into now, you know, the the next stage that finally triggers the conversion. Unless you have any kind of questions or, or things you wanted me to to clarify. <laughs> well, I, I you know not I mean your conversion story is is I'm, we haven't gotten to that part yet, but it certainly sounds like your your upbringing was uh, tense. I might say, I if you had told me this the the beginnings of your life were like this and you'd end up as a pediatrician at the end of it, I'd be kind of shocked. I'm, I'm curious, did, you know, with some of your, your difficulties as a young person, did you, were you kind of craving stability? You know, did you find yourself craving that as you got older? That's, that's a good question. Um, as I got older, yes. Um, <laughs> at the time that I met my wife, no, I, I was in, you know, it was my late teens, early twenties. And mm -hmm. I was still very much in that phase of just wanting to party and, you know, and, right. and be out. And I wasn't really thinking of any kind of stability. Um, it's, it's true. My, my life was, you know, when I look back, my life was hectic, but my mom did such a good job of um, feigning stability. <laughs> she, kind of, she, <laughs> She still came home, even though she was exhausted, and still somehow managed to set the table for us and make dinner, wow. um, to buy us clothes. And she always made sure that we we're wearing really good clothes. Mm -hmm. um, she she made a, a, a lot of effort to kind of make sure that everything looked and seemed stable. So she was able to fake me out for quite a while. So I think that <laughs> I think even though things were hectic, you know, now that I talk about it, thankfully I felt pretty peaceful inside until those years. Yes. When I had to move out of the house. Um, and there was a lot of bouncing around going on there, but I had a great relationship with my mom still. Um, I mean, like I said, she, she cried her, her eyes out when I moved out and I told her mom, like, this is great. At that time I was planning on going into the air force. I was mm -hmm. like, mom, there's like another year I'm going to go into the air force. Um, you know, this is not a big deal. Let's just make sure that like your relationship works out with him and so forth. So, um, I'm yes. curious, how did her, her relationship go with your stepfather? Well, didn't um, quite take it, it didn't quite take he, yeah. he was a, a difficult person. Um, mm -hmm. So I do I do realize that part of it was was him. Um, I'm sure mm -hmm. part of it was me too, because I was a teenager. <laughs> um, yeah, but it didn't quite work out. Okay, that was, uh, well, and that's good to know then that, you know, at the very least, because I always worry about stuff like when I when I hear about families with uh, particularly with where there's a separation and the kids are a little bit older. I know it, it seems like every conversation I have with someone, you know, the kid always kind of felt like it was partially their fault. And uh, yeah. it's good to see that um, while you may accept that you may have had some responsibility and it, 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 it sounds like it was certainly more than than you. Because um, you seem like I mean, if you go if you want to become a uh, veterinary nurse. That's not the kind of thing that I often think of for a selfish person. That's uh, as a matter of fact, it sounds very selfless. As a matter of fact, it just sounds like, like you keep talking about some of the, the you know, difficulties of your child and like, but then you keep landing yourself in places of great stability. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and thank God for that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't, I don't know that I thought about it that way and, and perhaps my upbringing, the way that my mom had already taught me kind of made me seek out those things. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but it's true. I always did seek to, um, to have some sort, you're right. Yeah. Stability and, and, even, and responsibility. Even when, you, 
Yeah, like like when you first said, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop out. I'm gonna leave the house and I'm gonna join the Air Force." I mean, that's an I mean, that's another example of where you're sort of seeking out stability. I think that's I yeah, I, yeah, I kind of right. you know that you know we all we always, so Carrie and I have often talked about the fact that our lives uh, have not gone in the directions we anticipated um repeatedly like like <laughs> she is not where she expected to be i am not where i expected to be and thank god for that because i'm much yes. better shape where i am now than what i had originally planned on um and you know carrie's one that often says is it's you, you god knows what he's doing when he sets mm-hmm. us on a path you know and i think you know if you look back and it's maybe interesting that you're kind of seeing some of this now from an outside perspective pointing it pointing at it but that when you look back, it's like, well, that was God's hand working in my life through it all. And also, you know, I look right. back and I didn't know this about you that about the Air Force portion, you had just mentioned it now, but that's all serving, like it's serving others. A pediatrician is serving others in the Air Force. You're, you're serving others. You're laying down your life for others when you're in the military. So veteran you know, nurses yeah, serving others. Yeah. I mean, all you, what you've been doing is just service where God has placed you. So um, and now, of course, as a family man, you know, for your family first, serving them, serving your wife, your children. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to look back and see God weaving that into your life. So yeah. if you haven't it's realized like that yet, session, there you go. Guys. Yeah. That's, that's, great, yeah. <laughs> that's, what our, that's what we feel our podcast yeah. is, an opportunity to help Anybody others. else that wants to come on that needs some therapy, <laughs> right. Mike, Mike and Carrie right, got right. you. <laughs> hey, listen, I've joked about it before. My job as a PR guy is 90% of my job is listening to other people and helping them through their problems. It's the strangest <laughs> thing. It's so weird. I, if I had known that I would be doing this for as my professional career, I would have gone into psychotherapy instead. <laughs> um, but let's talk a little bit about the conversion. So we, we sort of, right. we've, we've gotten yeah, yeah, yeah. You to, to your stability. So how do you go from sort of a, evangelical background to uh, nothing, a stage of your life to sort of weaving your back way back into Christianity again. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I guess to kind of like lay out the scene at that point, I was um, working as a vet tech, you know, um, the, the group that worked with me at this place were a lot of teenagers and young adults. So we would go to clubs on a regular basis um, and, and go to parties and all these things. That's, that's what we did. Um, that's where we used our paychecks. Um, <laughs> and at that point I was thinking, yeah, you know, I think at some point I want to get married. It was a thought every once in a while. And I was thinking, you know, probably when I'm like 30, 35 or something would be a good time to, to do that. Um, and so my, so Rachel, my now wife um, started working there and we took interest in each other, just started talking, tried to find you know, change our schedule. So we would work together. We just kind of seemed to mesh. Um, She at that time was also did not have her faith in the forefront of her mind. She was brought up Catholic um, by a wonderful family, but had, had strayed. She was 20 um, at that point also. Um, And so anyways, we started hanging out first in clubs and all these kinds of things and whatnot, and really began to like each other. Um, I met her parents who were coming down to Massanon, which is a, a place that is in Virginia and for skiing and so forth. So I went over there and met them. This was only a month and a half into us knowing each other. And God just hit us so hard um, yeah. that by three months af- after having met each other, we were engaged. Um, wow. And, you know, it wasn't an irresponsible engagement, kind of like, yeah, let's do this. Like, let's go to Vegas and get married, you know? 
Um, <laughs> it was really something that completely changed our lives. We, we started out by not caring about future and, and God and nothing like that. But by the time we got to a month and a half of knowing each other, we were both asking each other, it's like, where is the true faith? Like, is it Protestant church? Is it the Catholic church? You know, we, we need to figure this out. And I can't explain to you why, except for the fact that, you know, I am certain at this point, it was just the Holy spirit came in and he had a, he had a purpose. Yeah. Um, that's so, unusual too. You know, I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's unusual. Yeah. I, I've heard these stories a lot in my past and almost nine times out of 10, it's when it's a guy, typically uh, it's, Oh, I met a woman and she brought me back to the faith because her faith was so like hardcore. Right. But here's a, here's a moment where the two of you, neither one of you have particularly tangible faith at that time. I mean, I'm sure you were right. growing up with it. I'm sure it existed in, in your soul, but it's not your fourth forefront of your mind what your now wife isn't going to sunday mass every week um that's i don't think i've yeah. ever heard a story like that where a, a pair of nuns uh, n-o-n-e's people without faith uh come together and and get hit by that spiritual hammer what was it was it the impact of her parents or was it just like conversations between the two of you it, it wasn't it was conversations that began to emerge and and that's the the great part about it is like neither of us can take credit for it. it. It truly was, it had to be the Holy spirit that just swept in and he just had a plan for us to, to come together. And he, he made sure that he made that aware to us at that moment. Mm-hmm. Cause again, neither Rachel nor I had plans to, to get married anytime soon. Um, and yet by three months, our, like we had such a burning desire to know God more and knew who he was came out of nowhere. Um, that by three months, we're like, we know we're supposed to get married. We know we're supposed to figure this out. Um, and we're going to figure out how to live our lives for God at this point. Um, at, that so time, really, at that time, there were people like, you guys are crazy. Like, what are you doing? Like your coworkers oh, and everyone. So many that- stories. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, I remember this is a couple of months before I got married to Rachel. So we got married um, a year and three months later, right? After mm-hmm. having married each other after I uh, have you met each other. Huh. And I remember oh. a couple months before getting married, I was trying to just get, make things right that I had made wrong beforehand. <laughs> Cause I had done, done so many things at that point that I was like, so I remember calling um, this girl that I used to date and I told her, you know, like, I just want to let you know that like, I'm sorry that for anything that I kind of did that I didn't act the way that I should have acted that I didn't respect her anyway that I should have. And she was like, uh, what are you talking about? And I was like, listen, it's okay if you don't fully understand it, but I just want to say, sorry. I just, I just have to do this for me. Okay. <laughs> this right. is like conversion and 12 step program all at once. Yeah. That's right. I figured I really needed to, you know, do my best to, to put, yeah. make things right. There's one thing to, to convert. Right. And then um, mm-hmm. to say, I'm sorry, but then you often leave a lot of damage behind from yes. the sins that you committed. Um, and whatever you can do to fix those things, it's like that broken window that you still have to fix afterwards. Right. You know, you can tell the, your neighbor, sorry, but the window is still broken. So, mm-hmm. um, I tried to make those efforts at, at that time. Um, That's beautiful. I, yeah, I actually never heard that as part of someone's conversion story. And I've, I too have heard many conversion stories. Yeah. It's, that's so it's really- that's you welcome to a, the, the first club. That's a, that's a first that I've, I've never, I, I think we're going to have to have your your wife on at some point because I, I want to hear the other side of this. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. The um, uh, so you know it'll be like funny. Dan's lying about all of this. <laughs> <laughs> I was a great Catholic. I don't know what he's talking about. That's right. Um, 
the uh, so you know, okay. So in addition to you guys meet each other and within months have decided that you're you're destined for each other, um, but but was the conversion like w- did you guys make a decision to get married in the Catholic faith and and that's where like the conversion emanated from or what kind of like brought you into those next steps? Yeah, so we started talking about you know where where's the true faith where where is God like what do we do at mm-hmm. this point? I was pretty set on not becoming Catholic because mm. again, I thought if I did, I was pretty much sealing my damnation. Um, so I <laughs> such told a her, weird like, thing to hear. <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. That's so, that's so strange. I, I mean, I know there are people out here that out there that believe that like my, my mother, my mother came from a Protestant family and my mm-hmm. father was Catholic and her side of the family were scandalized when she decided to marry a Catholic but that was in the fifties, you know, papists were still eh, not particularly like, I'm not entirely mm. certain. A couple of my uh, in-laws on my mother's side of the family weren't Klansmen as well, but um, <laughs> seriously, we, we came from the sticks. The, um, <laughs> the, but it's, it's, I mean, I guess coming from that evangelical faith, the, the evangelical style faith that you came from in Brazil, I, I guess, yeah, that is kind of mm-hmm. mind blowing that you would consider it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when you hear, and so, and this will come up, but when you hear Scott Hahn talking about it, you know, his, he, he had a similar kind of like aversion to the Catholic mm-hmm. faith um, because he grew up in such a, a strongly Protestant, but not, you know, it's kind of when you get that, that Bible church um, and they, you can read the Bible in a way that you interpret it um, to be the way that you think it is. And you, the further and further you get from like those elements of truth, um, yeah. you just get this so far so, from understanding so yeah, from understanding what, what scripture is truly saying. And I mean, no offense to, to pro- they have a, a lovely, lively mm-hmm. faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you know, a, as you get further and further from the true magisterium of the church, the, the, the more you drift away from your understanding of scripture, the true understanding of it and, and things. So, but anyways, um, so as we, we started talking about these things, my wife started bringing up her faith and she's like, listen, I, I think the Catholic faith is true. Um, you know, my mom has talked to me about it. This is how I was brought up and things started coming back to her. And she's like, I really think the Pope is the head of the church. I was like, Rachel, the Pope is the antichrist. Like, (laughs) there's no way, you know? Um, so what happened at that point is I said, you know what? I need to go back to the beginning. So I started reading the church fathers. Mm -hmm. Um, and I picked up the books, which I have on the shelf, uh, from Vatican II. And I started reading, um, the, the documents from Vatican II. Um, and I started listening to Scott Hahn and his conversion too. And as time went on, I was like, oh my goodness, like, I think the Catholic church is actually the church that Jesus founded. You know, what do I do? Um, and then there, there was a, one, a a pivotal moment there that Ray invited me to go over Rachel, uh, invited me to go over to the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception down in DC because we lived right there. That'll convert you right then and there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I had a lot of trepidation before walking into there because to me, that was like the cathedral, you know, where Satan worshipers were going. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the last place that I wanted to step into. So I had a, a lot of hesitation, but I, I said, all right, you know what? Like I, I will go um, and I will look as long as you're listening to, to what I have to say also, which she was, you know, so I'll do my part and I'll go in and, and that's fair. Um were but you guys engaged walked, at this point? Were you engaged at this point or was it still no, during the dating period? Okay. Not yet. That was like yeah. 
the furious storm of like three months of us trying to figure <laughs> some of this stuff out. Okay. Um, but when I walked into the Basilica, there was just such an enormous amount of peace that came over me mm. that it was undeniable that God was not in there. Um, yeah, or undeniable that God was there. Yeah. So we spent our time there. And after I left, that pretty much sealed it for me, except that I now had to kind of take down my pride and say, all right, how do I deal with the situation? <laughs> you know, I had a big issue with uh, the Blessed Mother because, again, she's viewed as like the epitome of idolatry by many Protestants mm-hmm. um, because essentially people feel like we're going to her instead of going to Christ. So I had a hard time and for quite a while, even after becoming Catholic, I had a hard time with, with the rosary and so forth. But that was what sealed it for me. And I went into CCD at that point. Um, we knew that we were going to get married then in the Catholic faith. I knew I was going to become Catholic. I just needed to, to learn more. I was willing to kind of go in and, and try to figure out why I still felt so horrible about so many of these things. And yet, <laughs> you know, but I knew that this was the correct path now. Um, I was really blessed to have an amazing CCD um, uh, instructor who was Father Edlifson uh, down in St. James Church, down in Falls Church, no longer there, but he was just, you know, very theologically oriented, um, so grounded in scripture, and he was able to answer any question I had. He loved to go back to the church fathers, which was what I needed to hear. So um, I went through CCD there. Um, Carrie mentioned Alicia, who's Rachel's sister, her now husband, uh, we had met at around that time too. He decided to jump on board and start going to CCD. He was agnostic essentially at that point. Um, and a year after CCD and so forth, we got married. Um, Michael joined the Catholic faith also and married Alicia a few months after we married for <laughs> Rachel's parents <laughs> just got bombarded with, with those things. Um, and yeah. And so we started our lives um, at that point, we moved to New Jersey because this is where Rachel's family was. My family was a little bit more scattered at that point. So we didn't have like a central location to be at. Um, and we started our, our life up in um, North Jersey up in Bud Lake um, at, at the church of uh, St. Michael's, which was just wonderful up there. Mm-hmm. Um, we I, just out of curiosity, what, yeah. what county, what county is that in North Jersey? That is Morris County. Morris, yeah. Morris County. So okay. My family yeah. lives up there. Yeah. My sister's, uh, in, wow. my sister's in Lake Apacon, like the next town over. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. right. We're right there. Uh, Lake Apacon is actually where St. Michael's is. Yeah. Right. I think so. I or, used to go to a retreat oh, no, house Neckong, right Neckong. there. I used to go to a retreat house right there and like a pack on as well for my okay. school retreat. So I'm very fond of that area. It yeah. Really yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we moved up there at that point. Um, I had a lot of debt, but I had accrued um, <laughs> as, as a young teenager. I, <laughs> I was so irresponsible that I had close to 20, $25,000 in debt um, just from, you know, spending money because I did, again, I wasn't really thinking of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but money came to us and we were able to pay that off. So at this point we were strongly considering joining the Franciscan friars of the renewal um, and becoming missionaries. Um, We wanted to join their mission down in, I forget where it was, if it was Honduras or or where they are in Central America. Um, But we had contact with them and so forth. But 
at the same time, I had this very strong pull towards medicine. Um, just kind of like this nagging feeling inside of me that I, that maybe God was calling me to be a doctor. I, I had this passion already for, for medicine and biology and so forth. Um, and my mom kept on talking to me about it. She was like, Daniel, I, I am pretty sure you're supposed to be a doctor. So I made a deal with God. I said, look, I will, <laughs> I will reapply to college. At this point, I had been in, a, in and out and so forth, and I needed to get into a pre-medicine program. Um, it needed to be a pretty good school and so forth. Um, so I will apply. If I'm accepted, then I will just take that as being that I'm supposed to go down that path. If I'm not, then we're packing our bags and we'll go do missions work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was accepted. So <laughs> I had to... I with hesitation went down that path because we were really <laughs> on fire and ready to go and do missions work. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, what, what was it about the mission work uh, that, that inspired you so much that you thought about that? that's, that's an, that's a, you're making these gigantic leaps in your, your faith. I mean, like monumental leaps that you, you're not doing anything small. You're going head first all in on some of these like thoughts that you're having. And I'm, you know, your, your marriage to your, your engagement to your, now wife, your marriage to your wife happened very quickly. And then shortly thereafter, you're thinking about going south of the border and, and becoming a mission for a very hardcore community of the, <laughs> yeah, they know, are, I yeah. mean, they don't, they don't mess around down there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm just curious, you know, what was, was it the, was it the fire, the Holy spirit that was really burning in you to, to make these giant leaps? Yeah, I have to say it was, it was just, we, we wanted simplicity in our lives. Um, we didn't really care. We had just come from a very materialistic um, life, you know, just kind of immersed in, in constant material and um, all of these vain things in life and so forth. And we had realized how much we had been missing out and how much that had tainted us and brought us away from a relationship with God. And we're like, we don't need any of that. You know, we just, let's just live a simple life. And what's more important and better than just like living a life for God? Like, let's just go do our missions and we'll tell people about him. We'll live simply. We don't need a lot. Um, so that, that was our thought. And that seemed, that seemed like the right path. And it seemed easier than anything else to mm-hmm. us. Um, I certainly didn't want to truly go down the medicine of the, the path of medicine because I knew it was hard work. I knew it was back to mm-hmm. school. And it was taking me away from my passion at that moment, which was really like to just live for God in the way that I could see living for God. You know, I later grew in maturity to realize that you live for God through so many other means. Um, and by sacrificing your life in such a case by, you know, saying, fine, I'll, I will go down this path and, and go into to medicine. Um, and don't get me wrong. Like I, I love it. You know, this is, I can't imagine doing anything else. I, I love waking up and going and, and seeing patients and thinking through these things and so forth. But, um, it was certainly the, the harder path and it took me away from the immediate gratification of serving mm-hmm, God mm-hmm. in a most apparent way. Um, and maybe that, you know what, maybe that was the deal. It was a, you, you needed a little more time to cook. So maybe you, yeah. who knows, you may have gone down there and burned out. Whereas sure. here you were sort of forced to, to you, I mean, you literally have chosen the path of servitude. I know people don't tend to think of doctors as servants, but the, I mean, I've been in the health or worked with the health in the healthcare field long enough to know that that's actually exactly yes. what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so just out of curiosity, where did you end up going to for pre-med? So I went to Rutgers. Um, and then 
after Rutgers, I went to, I went to UMDNJ, University mm-hmm. of Medicine and Dentistry in New Jersey, which is no longer, it's now Rutgers too. <laughs> because <laughs> it's all under the same umbrella. Um, yeah, so I, I applied to Rutgers and then from there, I had to do basically three years of undergrad at that point wow. or three and a half really, because most of my credits at that point were kind of like so, dying out. Were you like the, like the older guy in the classes? Oh yeah. All these, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all these young, you're, you're looking at your old self, all these party kids and everything else. And you're That's like, right. I That's was right. there and I am no longer there now. I'm here in school <laughs> with all of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is pretty much, it was like a year later we had Angelina. Um, who's our oldest now she's 13. Um, but you know, at that time and, and that was tough in itself. So we, we were living now in Bud Lake, um, there in Morris, mm-hmm. Morris County. And we found out we were pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, so in order to continue school and not go into any debt, we ended up moving in with Rachel's parents who are just saints, <laughs> you know, they really should have just like kicked me out and, and been really upset and so forth. But they, they were really beginning to kind of understand what our, what we wanted to do and what our path was. So they took us in with open arms. And at that time they were actually living with their parents um, wow. because Rachel's father at that time had lost his job um, and was in between the two. So there were a lot of us in one place. Um, it was very baby. difficult. <laughs> yeah, and a baby. This is. It was this, very difficult. <laughs> What's that? Well, the, okay. So I, I love stories like this because I was a history major, and I'm I'm big into my family's you know genealogy and stuff like that, and and I love you know these multi generational households because the truth of the matter is that's how we used to live. That was the norm. Right, right. What you were you're doing, and it was the norm because it was so supportive to the family at large. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, I'm sure in, in our modern view, that's insane. But the truth of the matter is that was probably the, the best case scenario for you to, or for your entire family, for that matter, and her family to have. Everyone sort of together like that. You guys had the benefit of grandparents and great-grandparents to look after a newborn. Yeah. yeah. Now, no, I mean, I, granted, in, if, in my own, if that was my own life, I <laughs> probably would have killed myself. But that's wonderful. I look back with fondness, but there were very difficult moments. Um, and I also felt very inadequate at that time, you know, because I mm-hmm. felt like I should be pro- providing differently, but looking back, I would not trade that for anything. It was mm-hmm. a time of a lot of grace. Um, we would pray the family rosary together at night, the entire house. Wow. Um, I left, awesome. laughed with Carrie cause I, I would study in the basement with mice and spiders because there was no room. Um, but otherwise it was, you know, it was wonderful wake up in the morning and Angelina got to grow up with her great grandparents who are, you know, so it was, it was good. Um, and as we continued from there, um, we had more kids. Um, so we had Angelina initially, and then a couple years later, uh, three years later, we had Elijah who's now 10. Um, so we're beginning to kind of accrue some kids. They are getting a little bit more concerned because, we don't have a lot of money. I'm going through school with grants and scholarships and I'm working on the weekends to kind of bring in some money. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel still is working up until we, we have um, Elijah. And then we decided crazily enough that we thought she should stay home rather than I mean, honestly, to pay, pay for their daycare, you end up kind of like using up all the money. Mm-hmm. So um, I was accepted into medical school 
And in medical school, we had another, another child and then residency <laughs> afterwards, we had another two kids. So a total of, so for medical school, you go right through undergrad, that's four years. And then you have medical school, that's another four. And then becoming a pediatrician is three years. So we went through 11 years of, of this really tight living, um, really not knowing where money was coming from and how we were going to make ends meet. Oftentimes we didn't know if we were going to get to pay for gas or, or to pay for rent. Uh, but money always showed up, whether it's money that would just show up in our bank account and we weren't exactly sure where it was coming from, but it was there, or we weren't expecting it at all of a sudden a grandparent said like, Oh, you know, I wanted to give you this. And we're like, why? And they're like, I just wanted to give you this. And it's the exact yeah. amount that we need. So that's perfect. Um, so God really was faithful and I wouldn't change that for anything either, because that, that was a lesson um, in life of how reliable God is, mm -hmm. um, how he never leaves us, you know, no matter what, whether we thought we were making, oftentimes we were like, we must be making the wrong decision. Like we're living so tight. Um, and yet when I look back now, I feel like whether we were making the right decisions or not at the moment, he used it for really helping us grow in trust and in yes. faith and realizing that he's a caring father. Mm -hmm. um, I have to, at this point, make sure also because we're going to run out of time soon, but make sure that I bring in the blessed mother who again was very difficult for me to come to have mm -hmm. a relationship with. Um, but going back, we were married on the feast of the immaculate conception. Mm -hmm. um, I remember at that time, Rachel, almost crying saying like, man, I can't believe she's willing to share that day with us. Like that's, Aww. you know, that's her feast day and she's willing to do that. But then Angelina was also born on the feast of the Immaculate Conception. Um, wow. And a few years back when the 33 days to morning glory, I don't know if you guys know um, what that is, but the yeah. Father Michael Gately, Father Michael Gately's book, yes. Consecration to, to Mother Mary. Mm -hmm. um, when that came out, Rachel's mother, my mother-in-law brought it home to us. And the way it works is you're supposed to look in there and kind of find a feast day that's coming up and try to yeah. make your consecration. So it ends on that feast day. So when we opened it up and we looked and saw which feast day we were going to consecrate ourselves on, it was again, the immaculate heart of Mary. Um, she has been just so incredibly instrumental in helping me come to know and trust in God. Um, and I was telling Carrie this the other day, but the other day I was talking to a friend of mine um, and we were talking about, you know, general concerns, especially when we're going through the pandemic and there are protests going on. And he was saying, you know, I can trust God a lot. The one issue I have trouble with is when it comes to my kids. Like, I feel like I need to jump in and protect them. I'm not sure I can feel like I can let God protect them. And, you know, and he was saying, obviously this doesn't make sense because I know he will, but mm -hmm. that's, that's how I feel. Like, that's where I draw the line. And so I just started talking to him and I didn't even know what I was saying. Um, but I said, you know, have you consecrated yourself to the blessed mother? And he was like, no, I haven't yet. And, and I was telling him, you know, ever since I did my trust in her, my trust in God rather has increased tremendously to the point that now I feel like he will take care of everything. And he's really, he really is a good father and he'll, he's always there no matter what. Um, and only when I finished saying those words that I realized what I was actually saying, you know, and I was like, oh my goodness, that, that is so true. Like it's since yeah. my consecration, my trust in God has really changed. So 
as we as we are going into Lent for any converts and also people of the faith, our Blessed Mother is so instrumental in our walk in faith, in our interior life, our growth in prayer, and our trust in God. It seems, you know, again, like if if there are any Protestants that that listen to this, it seems like she would take the place of God somehow, um, but that's that's impossible, right? Mm-hmm. She has always pointed to Jesus from from the wedding feast at Cana to the cross, she, it's always been about him. And when you go to her, she immediately turns you and, and faces you towards Jesus. Um, another saint that I'm really coming to realize has a very similar role is St. Joseph. And obviously, as we are now in the year of St. Joseph, he is another one who he points you right back to Jesus. He teaches you how to be, you know, if you're a man, how, how to be a man, how to be a, a husband, how to s- sacrifice yourself, things that we so need to learn how to do now in society. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, for women also, he, he is that guide, you know, that brings you to the Blessed Mother and brings you to Jesus. You know, the Holy Family is complete with the three of them. And I really feel like that's when our spirit, and many saints have said this, you know, that's when our, our, our life there our spiritual life is complete with the three of them because they, the two of mother Mary and, and Joseph point right back to Jesus and Jesus points right back to them to help us have that relationship to again, reorient ourselves back to God. So it's, it's just beautiful. And it's a, a wonderful year and opportunity that we have that it's the year of St. Joseph. And we have the start of Lent. It's been a really difficult, you know, year 2020 was really difficult. And it seems like 2021 is going to be a little testy too. So (laughs) it's a great time to lean back on him. Know that God will provide for absolutely everything, our spiritual life, but also the temporal things that we need. Um, Yeah. So that's been, that's been our, our general, our general path. Um, it was great. I'm just, my mom. I'm just, I'm just sitting here dumbfounded. I, I apologize for interrupting. <laughs> I told you, Mike. I, I, I said I, it's, it's this like is the crazy. most amazing conversion story I've ever heard in my entire life. We, we have about five so minutes left in the, the podcast, and I'm, you know, it's everything you've done is so antithetical to how you grew up. I mean, the the mere fact that you came from this sort of evangelical background that that you know demonized the Catholic Church and everything that we stand stand for, and and Mary and the saints and. And here I've just spent the last four minutes hearing from you talk about your devotion to Mary and your and your appreciation for <laughs> yeah for Saint Joseph. I'm I'm literally going here. I don't. It, it, I'm I love these stories because there's I feel that they're 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 rare, um, but they're great symbols for people whose lives maybe don't need to to do the gigantic hurdle that your life did, but maybe just needs to make little hurdles that that mm-hmm. no matter what the size is you can if someone like you where you came from can be where you are now then there's no reason why the rest of us can't do that i mean who knows carrie i may even learn how to say the rosary the, I, I mean. <laughs> i'm telling it's inspiring i said i you know this came to be because i heard dan talk at our young adult group and share this story with them because Young adults thrive off of the conversion stories. Well, everyone does, but look, listen to Mike's reaction. But, you know, we we need to hear them to be inspired, especially I find uh, that age group of the the teen, later teens and young adults into their 20s, mid-20s. Uh, there's a lot of questions that take place then. So when they hear these solid, good conversion stories, it keeps them kind of on track and anchored. And I was sitting there and I text Mike, 
we have to have my friend Dan Costa on the show because it is, it's so inspiring. And I think we all need to hear these things. And honestly, you know, I had no conversion story in my life. I've been a cradle Catholic and kind of just progressed um, to, to the age I was at in a normal way, right. Through, through my young adult years, then into my adult years and took it into my own. But even when I hear these stories, like uh, something that you said the other night and you said again tonight has stayed with me. And that was about uh, the consecration to Our Lady and then total trust in God like that stayed with me. So it, it doesn't have to like like you said, Mike, affect these each person to have a major conversion in their life. But like, where are we at in our lives and how can we be inspired to grow a deeper relationship with Our Lady, grow stronger towards St. Joseph, especially in this year? or even just deepen ourselves in Lent uh, by hearing somebody else's story. And that's, that's in the sense what our church did, right? The apostles went out and they told their story. That's how our church started. And I think if anything we can gather from this podcast, it's tell your story, share your story with others, share the faith with others, because you don't know who you're going to inspire by just sharing what God has given you with other people. I think that's really important for us to remember from this. So. It, you're absolutely right and 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 dan thank you very much for for yeah. coming on the program thank you so I, much i i think we'd be remiss we only have a few minutes left but i think we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about what what life was like as a as a physician during uh during covid um have you uh has it been difficult have you been able to sort of hold in addition to your five children and your your burgeoning faith um has covid treated you okay um yes thankfully we we have been okay as far as, you know, not having illness and, and so forth. So um, that has been fine. Daniel, I got to tell you, thank you very much for coming on the, the podcast today. It was absolutely illuminating. The, um, your conversion story is, is unbelievable. I can't wait to, to share this podcast with people and, and uh, the show with people because I think people will be really moved by it. I actually am the PR guy in me is already thinking up different ways of packaging you for other things that we have going on in the diocese with people that I think would want to hear your story. Mm -hmm. So um, by all means, thank you very much for coming on. Carrie, thank, thank you, you very much for inviting him on. Of course. Yeah, th this thank is wonderful. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank yeah, you, Holy Spirit. and I, I, have a, I have a sneaking suspicion this will not be the, the last time you're on our podcast. I, I have a feeling we may have future questions for you. Um, so we'll, we'll invite you back. But, uh, but Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, yeah, sure thing. Welcome. And to our listeners, thank you very much for uh, for listening today. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. God bless.